book of Matthew. We uh, we finished the Sermon on the Mount last week in chapter 7. Uh, the last verse of, of which I think is uh, something along the lines of be therefore perfect as I am perfect. You know, easy stuff. Uh, <laughs> so Jesus is laid out in, in Matthew's 5, 6, and 7, kind of this path of, of perfection, this path that is the will of God for, for us, this path, what it looks like to follow him. And Jesus is really fond of, uh, especially in the book of Matthew, uh, of saying something and then living it out. Saying something and then teaching what it now looks like to live what he just taught. Uh, we might call a lot of what he does sort of lived parables, right? So that when we see what he does, he's not just doing something. He's doing something that is meant to be a kind of a teachable moment, a moment where now he is going to teach us to do something. So that if, if you had questions about Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and some of these propositions and how to love people and what it looks like to do that and to follow God and to follow him. Uh, if you had those questions, then Jesus now is going to embody and enflesh those things and teach us this is what it looks like. You want to know what it looks like? This is what it looks like to do these things. And so the very first thing that Jesus does after, uh, after the Sermon on the Mount is he encounters a leper. And I want to read from you in Leviticus chapter 13, the law concerning lepers. Okay, It says in verse 45 of, verse, of chapter 13, The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled. I wish I had permission to do that part, but the rest is bad. <laughs> and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Uh, it was also common pra practice in this day for a leper to wear a bell around his neck. Uh, people, and you know, for good reason, not knowing or understanding how to diagnose uh, the causes of diseases, um, they, they did not want to be around lepers. They were terrified of leprosy, uh, even though most of the things that cause leprosy, and leprosy is kind of an umbrella term. It, it basically, in their day, it meant anything that was a skin issue. Um, but a lot of the skin issues are not contagious. But uh, they would wear this bell so that, uh, and they would shout out unclean. The reason you shout unclean, unclean is so that people can stay away from you, Right? This person, these people, this whole subset of Jewish society, of Israel's society, and Roman society for that matter, and really all of the ancient world, lepers are always cast out. Lepers are always on the outside. They're not just on the margins of society. They're intended to be on the outside of society. Hence the phrase, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. He does not belong in social circles. He's not allowed to have relationships. He's not allowed to be around his family. He must be entirely and utterly segregated. He is gone, pushed out. And he's so much so that he must shout out unclean, unclean, so that people don't come around him. So the life of a leper, of a leper was the low of the low. 
It was the worst of the worst. You can imagine being that person. Um, imagine taking everybody that you care about and saying, I must now lose those relationships. Imagine that everybody in this room turned on you and said, uh, drove you out with pitchforks into the, I don't know, the hills. Imagine yourself, put yourself in the shoes of the leper. Pain, painful sores on your body, perhaps. But I think, I imagine that, that the pain drove a lot deeper than just the skin. Is that the timer for me to be over? <laughs> I just got started. Jesus, of course, uh, well, first of all, think also about that. It's the law that this is what you're supposed to do. This is, this is what you must do. Shout unclean, unclean, live outside the camp. That's the law of the land. And yet this guy sees, about, sees Jesus, hears about Jesus. We don't know anything about how he comes to this location where Jesus is, right? We don't know anything about how that encounter started. But we do know that the leper breaks the law and falls at Jesus' feet. Don't use the breaks the law to, you know, I don't know whether he's actually breaking the law, but he's not going with the spirit of the law. <laughs> and he falls at Jesus' feet and he begs. He takes this great personal risk to go and be at the foot of the master. Now, think about everything also that we believe about Jesus Right, everything you've ever been taught about Jesus is that he's perfect and he's pure. In fact, I bet, I bet that at some point in your life, I bet that there, you've heard this phrase, okay? That God, because he's perfect, can't be around that which is unperfect. Right? He can't be around sinners. Uh, I've, I've heard that a bazillion times. That that's why sinners have to go to hell uh, and those who aren't sinners get to go to heaven is because sinners have to be separated from God. God can't be around that which is unclean. But here we have God embodied. The truest revelation of who God is. We would expect, we would expect that such perfection could not mingle with such imperfection. The people in Jesus' day would have expected Jesus to also cast out the leper. And yet, what he does is not that. He does the absolute worst thing in their culture he can do. He does the absolute worst thing in his culture that he can do. He could have easily just not, he could have gone like this and be like, yeah, you're clean, but I'm not touching you. You're healed, but get away from me until it all goes away. He reached out and he touched him. According to the law, Jesus is now unclean too. Until he sees a priest. Perhaps God is capable of doing more with sinners than we expect. And this is not, uh, this passage, these passages that we read are, are in, intended to highlight the fact that Jesus 
is being very subversive here. Right? There's a process that's laid out in the book of Leviticus about how he ought to heal a leper. Not how he ought to heal a leper, but how a, a leper is supposed to be treated and uh, how the leper ought to, to go about things. And at the end, after Jesus heals him, he sends him back to the priest and he says, let the priest uh, check you out. And why does, why does he want him to do that? What's the point of going back to the priest? So that he can re-enter society. Right? Because the priest is the one who holds the keys to the door of his relationships. If the priest is the one who says, you're still unclean, then he has to go back out in the wilderness. If he just shows up in town and he says, uh, I'm clean, nobody's going to trust him until the priest gives him his stamp of approval. Because in Jesus' day, there is this system by which people are either in or out. They're clean or they're unclean. And it goes through the priest, but it also goes through the temple. It also goes through the temple. And the temple uh, has a sense of uh, this is where you, you practice and implement your cleanliness. This is where you prove that you are not unclean. This is where you also get cleansed if you are unclean. You go and you provide a sacrifice, right? You, uh, they, <clears throat> if you are, I mean, in Leviticus, actually, you go through, you can find all kinds of different, uh, different sacrifices under different situations. There's even, there's even a sacrifice for the sin that you don't know you committed, right? Go and offer a sacrifice for sins that you might not be aware of. And so the, there's this whole system by which people are pronounced clean and people who are then pushed out as unclean. And the people who are unclean are people uh, considered unclean are people like lepers, people like tax collectors, and people who are infirmed or ill, people who are paralyzed, and people who have demons. These people are on the outside of the system. The system is designed to push them out of relationships, to push them out of relationship with God and relationship with the rest of the people of God. The point is to make God's people as pure and clean as possible so that God only has to interact with the pure people. So Jesus now, in, this, in these passages that we read, he encounters all four of those people. Right? The leper first. And then actually the other, the other big group of people, we didn't read it, the other big group of people that are out are the Gentiles, which is like, you know, 95% of the world's population at the time. <laughs> They're all out too. Uh, and that's part of, the, part of the process, part of the system as well. And so actually we didn't read it, but in chapter 8, Jesus also heals a centurion servant, a Gentile. So he first starts with a leper, then a Gentile, and then he, uh, then he encounters a paralytic. And then he encounters a uh, tax collector. And then he encounters actually demons in several places. One of the places that we didn't read was uh, uh, demons who probably were Gentiles as well. Demon-possessed men who were also Gentiles. And so Jesus spends his time subverting this system. Think about that. The God in the flesh. The, the idea of that building right there is that God lives there. That's your access point to who God is. That's where he lives. That's his actual physical location. That's his mailing address, right? You can go here. 
his residence. And you can encounter him and you can get close to him and you can be near him. And then they decide that they've got the system to figure out who's allowed to be near and who's allowed to be, who's not allowed to be near and who's going to be out. And Jesus, God in the flesh, God incarnate, God who has come to us in circles and in wraps and touches all of the people who were out of that system. All of the people. It's not unintentional. It is not unintentional. Jesus just happens to go uh, and, and run into tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and infirmed people and, uh, and Gentiles. It's not, in, not unintentional. He is living the Sermon on the Mount. He is showing us this is the lifestyle that is demanded of us. This is where my followers should and shall go. And one of the most crucial points in really the whole book of Matthew and in the the whole of the Gospels is this uh, idea of of the tax collector of Matthew uh, and and Jesus is invited to Matthew's house, okay? And when you're invited to somebody's house, they had very strict rules in their society about who you were supposed to eat with. You're only supposed to eat with people who you were your equals, right? To share a table with somebody is like uh, is very different in in our world. Uh, we might not like to eat with somebody who's not our equal, but if you eat with somebody who's, it doesn't send any big cultural light bulbs to say this is who uh, you consider your equals. But in Jesus's day, it did. In fact, the rich people would get together and they would actually invite the community to come into their courtyards and watch them eat together. You could, you could just, it was like, a, a, you know, you didn't need tickets, but you could just wander in and watch this, these big banquets. Of the, of the great people eating. And so Jesus shows up, and you notice the, the Pharisees are always after Jesus for who he eats with. And so here he is eating with the tax collectors and sinners, people who are on the outside of the system. And, uh, and of course the Pharisees say, you know, what business do you have doing this? And Jesus says back to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Then he says, and I, uh, you know, just like a physician, I've, I've not come to, to take care of the, the healthy. I've come to call and take care of those who are sick. I desire mercy, not sacrifice is a quote from Hosea. It's uh, chapter six, verse six. And in the context there, Hosea is uh, lamenting the fact that Israel is full of innocent blood. He talks in several places just around verse 6 about how uh, Israel and in particular certain tribes have shed blood that should not have been shed. And he's talking about their wickedness. And he's talking also about their idolatry. And he says in there, Basically, you think that you can live however you want and that then you can, you can just give a burnt offering and that makes it okay. You can make this sacrifice and then it's fine. But the point of the, most of those 12 prophets at the end of the Old Testament is that that's not okay. That God desires us to live lives of mercy. And in Jesus, after Jesus' sacrifice, after Jesus' death, that's 
that's it. We don't do this. We don't do any of the rest of it. Mercy. Live a life of mercy. Live a life of mercy. We too might might uh, develop our own systems that kind of block out or distract from or destroy the idea of being merciful. Uh, can you imagine if if the leper had fun- come and fallen at Jesus' feet and Jesus had said, uh, you know, I don't know. Who did you vote for in the last election? Or what do you think about the NFL players kneeling for the national anthem? This is really important, how you answer this, whether or not I say you're clean or unclean. Whether or not I say you're in or you're out. Imagine if he said, uh, which, which country are you from? Imagine if he said, uh, what was your latest status update on Facebook or Twitter? Imagine, oh, this is not as true now, but you all know this was really true 30 years ago, maybe 40 years ago. What did you wear to church on Sunday? What do you think, choruses or hymns? We too might also develop our own systems of kind of entrance exams to decide. We would never use the language, but really to decide who is clean and who is unclean. And as soon as we do it, we undo the idea that we are demanded to live lives of mercy. What God wants from us is not a second sacrificial system of this or that. What God wants from us is to acknowledge that we have been taken care of by him because of his mercy. This uh, series of passages ends with, with Jesus being condemned by the Pharisees as being uh, a part of, um, from the devil himself, right? He must cast out demons because he himself is in league with the devil. He, he himself must come from demons. I found that there are times when uh, we, we might also find ourselves, when we try to really live mercy, we might find ourselves being accused of actually not really being Christian or not really being good at this or good enough at that or, or somehow we have now separated ourselves from what it really means to follow Jesus. That is not an old idea. But we must focus ourselves on this life of mercy We must make sure that whatever systems we develop, whatever way of being that we develop, we do not obscure mercy. So this this passage then, right after that, Jesus is sort of like, whatever, if I'm not going to change you guys, I'm going to go and do my thing. And so it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd harassed and helpless. This struck me this morning, actually. This was not originally going to be part of my sermon, but I had never like noticed that before. What on earth does it mean that the crowd is harassed and helpless? And you remember I, that word crowd I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about it. It's the Greek word oklos, which means a crowd that's mostly made up of impoverished people, people on the lower end of the spectrum. 
um, of the social spectrum. So this, so that's an important word here. Uh, and then there's this word harassed, which is the Greek word skullo, which literally means to flay or skin alive. Skin alive, not just skin, but to skin alive. Then there's this other one, helpless. It's the word ripto, to throw away or cast out. The leper's not the only one. The way they're living and the way they've created this society, the way that these, uh, high, these priests and these Pharisees and the people who were in charge, the religious leaders who were in charge of this country and the society, the way that they had interpreted and the way that they had put the law into practice was harming and casting out people who Jesus was having compassion on. Connected to all this is this idea then that when Jesus says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This passage has always been quoted to me without any sort of uh, sense of what's around it, right? That This is all about evangelism. This is all about uh, making sure that we go out and we share the gospel. And that's not not part of it. It's an umbrella. Evangelism is part of it. But this whole idea, Jesus has had compassion on this harassed and helpless crowd. These people who are out. These people who are broken. These people who are hurting. That's the harvest. This is the context into which he says, the harvest is great. There are two in your life. Maybe it is you. There are people who have been ostracized, people who have been cut off from their families, people who do not feel like they belong, people who feel as if maybe even Christianity has said to them, you must live outside the camp. You must live alone. We don't want you. Many of you grew up in homes where people said you were not good enough, where you, I don't really love you. Some of you have heard those horrible and injurious words from your parents. Well, you're part of the harvest. That's the work. To share the gospel and all of its goodness with the world, and especially with the broken and hurting world, to say that now... We know and believe and confess that who God is, that at his heart is the God who will touch such people. The God who will mingle and hang out with and eat dinner and share his table with such people. That he will go out of his way to wrap into his work people like Matthew, the tax collector. People like the paralytic, people like the leper. Sometimes the church loves to make the excuse, well, I only have to do all that stuff to those who repent. I only have to do all that stuff to the people who want it to happen to them, right? 
But Matthew himself is a great example. There's no suggestion that Matthew has made any repentance. There's no suggestion, absolutely zero suggestion, that Matthew has done anything. The only words are, Jesus saw a tax collector and said to him, follow me. We too, we can't wait for, ev not every leper is going to come and fall at our feet. As a church, not everyone's going to come to us and say, I am broken, I'm at the end of my rope, please. I mean, that's wonderful when it does, it's so much easier when somebody really is there. But sometimes we might just walk by somebody. Sometimes we might find someone who walks in and they're not sure why they're here. There's all sorts of conditions, all sorts of ways, and in every way we must remember God desires mercy from us. And so we have this work to do. We too. We too must live this life of mercy together. Shouldn't come as any surprise. This is what we have been striving for for very, very long, far longer than I've been here. We have to keep doing it. I think the ironic thing about mercy versus sacrifice is that mercy is far more costly. We think of, of sacrifice as being maybe a costly system. But think about it. You reach out and you touch a leper. Now you've got a leper on your hands. <laughs> You have, to, you have to care for this guy. You have to walk with him. You have to hold on to him. Make sure he's okay. You have to disciple him, mentor him. You have to lower yourself so you can learn from him and hear him and know him and be shaped by him too. If you were a poor person, all you had to do was go and buy an ephah of flour. You know what an ephah of flour is? the amount of flour that will fit in the palm of your hand. And then you go and you let a priest stomp it or burn it or something, and then you walk away. It's actually not a costly system at all. Mercy's hard. I say mercy is 10 times harder, and mercy doesn't always work. Right? The great, great thing about the sacrificial system was, well, you did that, now I know, I'm good, I'm go, I'm done. But sometimes you give, you say to somebody like Matthew, you say, hey, you tax collector, come and follow Jesus. And he says, nah, I think I'm going to go do my thing. And he says it for 10 years in a row. Sometimes you reach out and you, you expect the leper to be healed and he's not healed. And he's not healed over and over and over and over again. Sometimes mercy doesn't work. And that's not the point. We don't live the life of mercy because it works. Certainly it does sometimes. We live the life of mercy for this simple reason. Because I am the leper. That's why I have. I have to live the life of mercy. I can't do anything else. If I do, then it's like I'm saying to God, you didn't reach out to me. I wasn't actually in need. I wasn't actually the leper. Because I was and I am. I stand before you purely and wholly on the mercy of Christ. I do not deserve anything that I have. Not an ounce. And so if we are to go out into the fields 
of the hurting and the broken and the ostracized and the cast out and the flayed. We must go there as lepers. We must go there as people who understand that we too have fallen at the feet of Jesus. We too have said, Jesus, please make me clean. Please help me go back to my family. Please help me get my life back. Please, I am but a humble and broken and hurting leper. In fact, this little picture that I drew several years ago is supposed to be me. It's supposed to be me as a leper. Because that's my story. It's who I am. And I wish with all my heart to be as kind and as gracious and as merciful as the Jesus who reached out and touched me. The Jesus who calls me by name and says, you're not unclean. In fact, come and eat with me. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, I pray that that you would continue to provide us opportunities to live this life of mercy for those who desperately need it. I pray that you would give us a sense of your, your pleasure and your grace and your goodness when we try to live mercy and it doesn't seem to be working. I pray that you would give us your steadfast resolve because this road is not easy. I pray that we would lean on your spirit and not upon our own understanding and our own strength. That we would trust that it is you who wants to do this merciful thing through us. And God, I pray that we would never think of ourselves as alone, that we would never share the burden of mercy in this hard and sometimes horrible world. We would, we would never keep it for ourselves, that we would always share it with our brothers and our sisters around us and would remember that you, you always are asking us to do it with and alongside. And God, I pray that, that any of us who maybe don't know how or why we are lepers, that you would show us. And for those who maybe are, are drowning in their own sense of being leprous, I pray that you would say to them and shout to them in the clearest language that they are not unclean to you, that you desire them, that you can restore them. So God, help us to neither wallow in our own shame nor to be uh, lifted up by our own pride, but help us to simply, all of us, kneel at your feet and receive your mercy and go forth together into this world, into this neighborhood, into our ministries with your mercy. We love you and we stand and we sit and we are present here because of you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you are the God who reaches out to that which is unclean. We thank you for that you are the God who is moved to compassion. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you guys want to stand, you can.